J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley and I'm extremely glad that I've been given the opportunity to talk to my guest today, Amy Croft, about herself and her book, A Longing for Justice in a Patriarchal Society. It's an autobiography telling us all about the grief and loss that took place in her life the convoluted childhood, especially the cool, fractious relationship she had with her mother, older parents, difficult childhood, ill-judged relationships, having children when she herself was still only a very young age, teenage rape at the hands of a guy she thought she could trust, an alcoholic husband, the breakdown of her marriage and herself, as well as the death of her parents and many other incidents that she faced culminating in a spell in a psychiatric unit. The loss of her children to another woman, all by the age of 25. But the essence of the book is more about the patriarchal societies and institutions that were around back then, and how the decisions with the support impacted on her life, or lack of support. Decisions that were founded on a patriarchal society, a society in her view, was not fit for purpose. A system that failed not only her, but women, children, and vulnerable adults in general. She understands not everything that went on in her early years that shaped her whole life could be blamed on society. Youth and and naivety probably played a part here as well. So let's ask her to come and join me to talk about herself and a book, Amy Croft, it's a great delight to welcome you on my show. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you've certainly led, uh, you know, certainly up to the age of 25, I think it's fair to say you led a, a, a busy, interesting life, isn't it? Yeah, you could <laughs> say that, yes. Um, Amy, You say in your book, the reason for all or most of the traumatic experiences you've talked about can be encapsulated in one word, patriarchy. And you go on to refer patriarchy as a beast in not only your own life, but in the lives of so many women. Do you want to talk about this to everybody? Uh, Yes. Um, Patriarchy uh, is essentially... Uh, males who feel entitled to rule, to lead. Uh, They feel that it's their God-given right to uh, have control and domination over others. And that was operating pretty strongly uh, when I was growing up. And in actual fact, it's still operating pretty strongly around the world, uh, particularly for women, uh, children and men people who are vulnerable uh, in relation to how that plays out for them. So patriarchy is a very toxic uh, kind of culture in our society and has been since day dot. 
Yes, because you say in your book about masculine intoxication, and I thought that was a very interesting two words there. But for me, Amy, I think a lot of people can testify that the shape of your life is heavily influenced by the DNA in your genes, particularly if those genes have um, an affiliation to some kind of addiction. Um, and the circumstance. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And the circumstances surrounding your very early years. And I think, you know, being an only child also added to the complexities because you didn't have any other siblings to support you. Would you yes. agree here with what I've just said? Uh, yes, I would. There, there was definitely a biological factor in that my mother had heard, had a nervous breakdown in her earlier years also. And there have been uh, another family member who've had, um, you know, some issues with mental health. So, yeah, it's not surprising that I wasn't really equipped to deal with uh, some of the things I did deal with. You, um, because you, this comes across very strongly in the book, you know, quite several times. Um, you know, particularly in the, your first few chapters, you know, when you're talking about your fractious relationship with your mother. And of course, yes. when you're talking about the, um, your husband's um, alcoholic addiction, mm. you reckon mm. that was in his DNA. Yes, yes, I do. There was a, a long line of that through the family, but I didn't sort of really know about that until I was, you know, <laughs> Uh, married and uh, having children, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Sorry, you, go ahead. You talk about in your uh, the early chapters of your book here, Amy, um, in a patriarchal society, isn't, you know, you even faced that when you were at primary school, you know, uh, yes. by male primary teachers. Now, some were very good, you said, and some weren't. And so you yes. went forward with some teachers and backwards with others. Do you want to yes. open up a little bit here? Yes. Well, some te uh, teachers didn't need to punish kids in order to get them to learn. Uh, and those were the people that I gravitated to, not the ones that, who were absolutely harsh in their punishment of all children. It wasn't just girls. Um, but yeah, they, they were pretty physically full on, uh, as well as verbally, you know, they were not nice people. They weren't there, uh, to like us. They were there to make us learn. That's how, where I developed a high degree of anxiety. Yeah, you know, when I look back at my own childhood, Amy, you know, I can remember, you know, teachers throwing, um, Board dusters at us, and and I agree with you. They were there in those days to uh, well, you're going to be taught. I'm the master here, and there was very little um, teacher-student relationship. It was almost non-existent. That's correct. Yes. And yes, I think we all experienced that. That those of us who lived in those times, every single one of us had some degree of uh, anxiety. Um, in dealing with those people. Yeah, you know, and they would say to me, oh, you're stupid because, you know, you're not as bright as oh, yes. people behind. Mm. 
<laughs> you didn't get you didn't uh, get no praise. Really much of a chance to develop a, a really strong self-esteem, particularly like in my instance where mum wasn't a really loving person. She was, she was just not loving at all, not affectionate, anything. So it was my father who was my mother and my mother who was the discipline, the disciplinary person of our family. So it was a bit different that way. Yeah, but um, I think self-esteem is a huge thing. And if a child doesn't have or doesn't develop some self-esteem, uh, those anxieties that they've experienced in their childhood uh, classrooms uh, accelerate, you know, and it develops. And you're always walking around feeling vulnerable. I totally agree. Um, do you think that, um, I mean, your parents had you later on in life, didn't they? Yes, yes, they did. So there was a huge age gap. And do you think that yes. was part of the problem? They came from a different society to the one that you were facing? Oh, yes. I mean, they came from the Victorian era, <laughs> which was, you know, <laughs> I, yes, you understand what I'm saying when I say that, because uh, it was all cut and dried. Patriarchs ruled, that was it. You were not allowed to, you know, say anything out of place. You were ostracised if you did this or you did that. Uh, there was nowhere to go with it. It wasn't flexible at all. No, I can remember, you know, there was a phrase, you know, kids um, should be seen and not heard. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We both, we, yes, we both yes. reflect on that, don't we? Yes. I mean, I was sneaky. I got around that a bit by, by being behind closed doors and listening into conversations. That's how I got to get a whole lot of information that I would never have had otherwise. <laughs> well, kids do that. Um, I own uh, up. <laughs> wow. You were very young when you got married, weren't you? In fact, you reveal in the book that you were already pregnant before the marriage. And that would yes, have... that's right. Yes, now, that's that would right. Have been a real stigma, wouldn't it? A social stigma for a woman uh, back oh. then. And you would have definitely have had Absolutely. a patriotic society then, wouldn't you? Yes, yes. Uh, the main person that I really uh, let down badly through the whole of my life was my mother. I was always scared of letting mum down, terrified of letting mum down. And yet I let her down at every turn. Uh, it was just, yeah, that's just the way it turned out. It was so strict and I wasn't able to fit in to that. I mean, when they would also look, um, yes, I suppose we can think about here, you know, um, a square trying to fit into a circle. It doesn't go, yep. does it? No, that was but, me. Yeah, and that was probably me as well, to a certain extent. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I think we should have met up a long people. time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there you were, uh, bringing up two children, uh, working yeah. on the farms to pay the bills, yeah. with not yeah. only an alcoholic husband who you think his addictions were in his DNA, but you were That's also... That's right, they were. I don't think it. They actually were, yeah. 
but you were also dealing with the demise and death of your parents. And all by the age of 25, with no or little support. Well, um, I had no support whatsoever because I was, I was on a dairy farm, which was as isolated as you could get. Uh, with an alcoholic husband that used to take off every evening in the car to the pub, uh, left alone, you know, to my own devices in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was a big thing for a young woman, particularly, uh, you know, someone who's responsible for two little children with no um, avenues of support or assistance. And I couldn't let my, uh, my parents down by letting them know what the real story was so I kept the real story to myself and of course that added to the whole pressure of everything um so everybody you know so it's probably fair enough to say that all that happened in your life up to the age of 25 culminated in you being placed into a psychiatric unit for a short spell didn't it Yes, it did. Yes, I, the, the whole thing about keeping everything to yourself and putting everything down so deep a master archaeologist wouldn't be able to dig it out. Uh, the trouble is that it does surface eventually and that's really what happened. And then it took me over. I had no control after that. Uh, but I thought I was dealing with it pretty well up until that point. Um, but, yeah, it overtook me and I ended up in a psych hospital. Um, they also took me off uh, Valium. I was given Valium by a doctor because I had three gynecological operations um, in three years, you know, major uh, operations, and he put me on Valium. And, uh, you know, you didn't question the medical profession, like you didn't question your teachers in those days. And what he said went, and I dutifully took uh, this Valium that he gave me. And what it actually did, John, was make me a shell of myself, really. It took away my will uh, to cope. It took away my will in the end uh, to live, really. I just felt like everybody would be better off without me. It's, it kind of took your life away, didn't it? It did. It took my life away, absolutely. Yeah. Do you, um, Amy, think that people who are trying to balance their mental health nowadays, as opposed to back in your days, get mm -hmm. a fairer support package from society as a whole compared to the male bastion days faced by yourself? Or is oh, yes, there I think a long things, way to go? I think things, yeah, yeah. I think things have improved a lot. But, you know, the issues relating to mental health are pretty well the same. If you're not supported um, and if you're under a lot of stress and uh, things are going really badly for you and you keep trying to uh, push your way through it and when you realise you can't, those issues are the same basically in any era I've found. And now, yes, you're right, there's more support. But do you know what I'm finding? Some people are resistant to support. They, they don't want to take it because uh, of pride. And I was a bit like that myself. I understand that. Pride, um, oh, no, I've got to do it on my own. I've got to manage this. I've got to be the best mother, the best wife, the best, you know, worker, the best whatever. Um, so people put a lot of pressure on themselves, you know, to 
to cope and that's a bit of a worry. Absolutely. I, I can understand where you're coming from there. What comes across quite strongly throughout the whole of your book, Amy, is the decision taken by others in a male-dominant-led society that have had a huge impact on your life. And I'm referring in particular here to the custody battle that you faced when you came out of the psychiatric unit for the first time. Now, this is a custody battle, everybody, that you lost, with the result being that you lost your children due to a male jurisdiction system mindset in those days. Yes, exactly. It all came down to money. Who had the money and who had the power? And it certainly wasn't me. (laughs) So, you know, um, I was the little woman, the nut job, you know, the nut case, whatever, that came out of the psychiatric hospital who had to work to get money to get over there because my parents and, you know, people couldn't help me with that. I had to do that myself. Um, I had to be assessed by a psychologist before I could even see my children because my husband had taken them to another country. Um, So, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty horrible experience. I, I didn't break down again. I thought I might, but I didn't, but it was pretty hard to know that, my partner had a barrister paid for by his father um, and he had his, um, his partner, then partner, who had my children calling her mummy before I'd even set foot in the country to get the custody battle happening. It was a big thing. It was a big thing, you know, like I was 23, 24 years old. I just, I just don't know how I did it. To be quite honest, I and want I to come back, back to I think, Amy. I want to come yeah. back to one thing here because I think this is the crucial thing in your life, which has really um, affected you throughout the whole of your life. And it was the fact that your children called the other woman mum. Oh yeah, that that yeah, that was wow. Well, hard I for still, you. Isn't it? I still have to. I still hold my breath thinking about that because that is the one single thing that I've never come to terms with. Yes, and that comes across quite strongly in the book. And that's the one pinnacle thing in your life that you've had to live with for all these years. And that's been very hard for you. Yeah, that's true. Yes, I have. Do you think, Amy, that if they... um, in the judicial system back then, there was more um, female judges, uh, barristers, um, law people, that you might have had a more sympath- sympathetic hearing in the court case. Oh, yeah, they were pretty tough cookies back in those days. Like most of the judges were conservative, older, patriarchal men who didn't have any time for a woman such as me. Um, uh, or or many other women for that matter, because what we thought or did didn't really matter. It was they, they were in control. And he just looked at the other side of the coin and went, yep, they got the money, they got the barrister, they've got the um, stability, which was a big thing, you know, because I really wanted my children to have some stability. Uh, but yeah, look, there was no, no women. There were no women that you could go to 
to get a fair hearing because even if they would have been the best in the world, they still would have been behind the eight ball with the male um, domination. And that's what I wanted to bring, bring this point across. That's the very reason to bring it up. I want to move on a little bit here, Amy, to the, almost like the second part of the book. I know it doesn't actually say second part of the book in the book, but in the latter part of the book is really about your life after the court case. You choose to put yourself back into a psychiatric unit for further support. But now um, we see a maturer, wiser woman rising from the ashes like the phoenix. You educated yourself. You worked in child protection yep. as well as other women's support areas. You, yep. you encountered a patriotic society throughout all these areas. How did you go about handling these scenarios now? Well, I think it must have been a bit of the rebel in me. I wasn't prepared to, to lay down and die. I have everything taken off me that I could have taken off me. So I, I thought to myself, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to lie down and do nothing and go boo-hoo-hoo all your life? Or are you going to do something that is, you know, meaningful and productive? And that was where I decided to study, to volunteer in welfare um, situations. And I eventually ended up in social services in various roles and... Yeah, look, I saw people that were in far, far worse states than myself um, with really horrendous things happening to them. And that sort of, you know, I thought, well, I'm not the only one. You know, there's so many people, you know, that are having these awful things happening. And a lot of it is because men are beating them or abusing them or raping them or, you know, the, it was just... It was just on and on and on and on through decades. And I thought, this, there's something really wrong about this. This has to stop. You know, enough's enough. Now that's in the so next that, book, everybody. Yeah, but, but you know, working in, in social services, because I'm retired now, but working in social services for a few decades gave me a real glimpse into people's lives and the way they were being treated by males who had this misogynistic bent. I think also, just to give, um, to countenance here, um, let's just say, I think to give it a fair countenance to men, you've worked and had relationships with some wonderful men in your life. You've been on yes. a journey in varying degrees and guises. And mm -hmm. what does come across the book, quite strongly in the book, is that there is a fair proportion of men in society who are good men, fair men, and respect women and their views and respect children and vulnerable people. And you brought some yes. into your book. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, some of those relationships were really hard on both sides because those men uh, also had, you know, to deal with what had happened to them with, via a patriarchal society also. I mean, I had a relationship with someone who had been sexually abused as a young person by 
uh, in the church system, you know, and another one whose alcoholic mother just made his life a misery all through his childhood. And so you put us together and we were both, you know, each of us, these people, decent people, but we just really didn't um, have uh, the wherewithal to be able to manage, you know, what we were dealing with. And so it was the same for men as it is for women. If you do not have those supports, if you do not have uh, strong parental guidance, if you do not have people who are there to support you, whether it's grandparents or aunts, uncles, whoever they are, this puts you, um, you know, on the back foot. And so some of those men were really, really good men, um, but, there were drug issues, there were alcohol issues uh, that were not productive to a good relationship. I understand that. Do you think, Amy, that over recent years, you know, with women speaking out, uh, like the Me Too movement, that society is becoming less patriarchal, moving in the right direction, or is there still a considerable amount of work to be done and if so, are men important to this process? What do you say here? Okay, both. The Me Too movement was a catalyst in terms of letting women know that to remain silent was not an option. And we had a letter speak movement in Australia, which allows women or gives them basically permission to speak out about their sexual abuse. And many are. So... I think that it's been a really good thing, this movement, because it started off as a support group for people who were um, abused. And then when it went viral, when a whole people, load of people just flooded the internet with, this happened to me, this happened to me. And there was something like 2 million people and it was just gigantic. And so, Obviously, this whole business of patriarchy and male dominance isn't just a uh, fantasy. It's an absolute reality. But now women and men are going, hmm, well, maybe we could just move this along a bit, you know, and get the patriarchy out of the way for a while and just start moving into a new generation of people who really want life to be without this control and domination you know people who just want to live their lives in peace and harmony hmm. who do you um amy see as the benefit you know who would benefit from needing your book and where can you get it um, or you can get it online, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can order it through Balboa Press Publishing. Um, yeah, so if you, just, um, if you just Google Amy Croft author or author Amy Croft, it'll come up and you can either buy the book or you can read it on these sites. Um, I think that a lot of people will get something out of it. I mean, word is coming back to me that the book is an easy book to read. Um, you know, like, I mean, I question, I collude, I acknowledge, I support, I own up, I expose my own flaws. 
I've been angry, mm. I've been grief stricken. So uh, uh, there are whole swathes of people out there who can relate to that. And their, the, the, their stories might be a little different, but they're similar in many other ways. And it all comes back to that. It comes back to control and domination, which we don't want anymore. Amy Croft, thank you for coming on my show and opening up to the listeners about your life and your book. Um, I have to say, everybody, as a man, Amy's book has certainly given me something to think about, reflect, ponder over, um, and particularly when she talks about toxic masculinity. I thought to myself, hmm, that's an interesting thought. But so all I say to you, uh, everybody, is go and have a look at her book, go and read it, and see what you think. But for the time being, I'm going to say to Amy Croft, thank you for coming on my show. Thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure, and thank you, John. Um, so that's it for this podcast, everybody. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. So until next time, stay safe.